you're listening to Reba Radio, the podcast. From 18th to the 26th of November 2021, our annual inclusion festival took the form of a dedicated radio station broadcast live from the bookshop at the Reba's HQ in London, with me, Marsha Ramroop, the Director of Inclusion at the RIBA, hosting the discussions. Reba Radio, the podcast, is the speech-only content from that radio station, themed and edited for your easy consumption. We suggest you make your way systematically through all episodes from the intro to the end to help you effectively on your inclusion journey. We hope you enjoy it and find it useful and applicable. Now, uh, we're going to have a deep dive, a deep dive into some of the issues that seem to systemically affect women in architecture and the built environment. And I want to really make clear at this stage, as we we talk about CQ knowledge, at no point is there any expectation that those from underrepresented groups should be responsible for fixing the issues that discrimination has led them to. Uh, This and other discussions around lived experience about those who have the authority who have the power to make change, uh, listening and acting on those experiences that are very different to their own. And these discussions are part of that opportunity. And so to our extraordinary A-list of women, um, Roma Agrawal MBE, which she describes as a mega badass engineer, is an award-winning engineer, author and broadcaster from footbridges and sculptures to train stations and skyscrapers, including the Shard. She's left an indelible mark on London's landscape. And actually, whilst I uh, work from London, I stay with my mum. I think I mentioned this before. And as I reach the crest of the hill of the street where she lives in this uh, northwest London suburb, I can see the spire of St Mary's Church on Harrow on the Hill and then tracking across the horizon, the Arch of Wembley and the skyscrapers of the city and there's the Shard. And I have one half-decent picture of it as the sun's rising and the clouds are low and a strong band of orange creating the perfect backdrop to a silhouette of the structures there. So I might tweet that later at Marsha Ramroop. We're also joined by Farshid Musavi OBE. She's an Iranian-born British architect, educator and author. She's founder of Farshid Musavi Architecture and a professor in practice of architecture at Harvard University Graduate School of Design. And to those in the architecture space, you know, you need little introduction. Prolific, successful, determined. Uh, She's added a great tilde to the discussion about spaces. And Melody Leung um, joined Zaha Hadid Architects in 2005. In addition to designing products, furniture, interiors and architecture, she assisted Zaha in creating uh, and designing the Zaha Hadid Gallery, where she also oversees the installation of new exhibitions. So thank you all very much indeed uh, for joining me. If I can start with you, Roma, um, how would you describe yourself and what have you negotiated as a woman in the built environment? Even that isn't too big a question to start with. so I describe myself, you know, professionally speaking, as an engineer and author. Even being able to say the word author has taken me a lot of work because I still don't see myself as, as you know, a professional writer now. Um, in terms of, we're talking about diversity today, I'm an immigrant, I'm a woman, I'm a person of colour. Um, I do actually speak English as a first language, but I, I know that that's not the case for a lot of immigrants from around the world. 
and I often talk about the fact that I'm short because we're in the built environment and you know when we're talking about designing spaces that feel inclusive to everyone then being short actually does have an impact I can't always reach the you know those bars to keep myself stable on the bus or the tube for example so I don't know those are a few bits of description and your second question was about what I've negotiated yeah as a woman in the built environment so it, it's an it's an interesting one because with me there's I mean we talk about intersectionality and you can't always tell why a particular situation came up with me one of the biggest things I've actually had to negotiate is the fact that I didn't have an engineering degree I had a degree in physics so when I tried to first enter this industry the professional institutions were saying to me that you don't have the right degree you have a physics degree and you need to have an engineering degree in order to get membership. And that's just graduate membership I'm talking about of this professional institution. So when I think back to why I had a physics degree, I wonder sometimes whether because I went to a girl's school for my A-levels before that I was in India. I knew I wanted to do something sciencey, something technical. And it's possible that because I'm a woman, Nobody ever suggested to me that engineering might be the right degree to do. Mm. So I ended up doing a pure science, which I, you know, I thoroughly enjoy. I have no regrets about. But let's say that 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 was a big barrier to me even entering the profession in mm. the first place. Melody, how would you describe yourself and what would you say you've negotiated as a woman in architecture? Um, as a bit of background, I'm from Chicago originally. I'm Chinese American. So I think I grew up always straddling um, between the family that I went to visit in Hong Kong and this kind of intense uh, diversity of cultures that came from this colonial um, city that was very adjacent to its Chinese heritage. And then I studied in New York at Columbia, and then I made my way over to London to work for Zaha. So I think I was always drawn to Europe because of its multi, its cosmopolitanism. Everyone is so connected to the background from which they're from. And I think I found that really fascinating. And even in the office, when I joined, in a way I was a minority as a native English speaker. Um, and that kind of vibrancy of different perspectives and different backgrounds was on the one hand also um, a big learning experience for me, I think from a personal level in life, but then also I think over time, I reflect on how it um, influenced the way that we design and and the, the kind of many different perspectives that we bring to any project when we collaborate. I think in terms of my journey and negotiating, in some ways, I was also very fortunate because um, it was maybe only midway through my career that I uh, the it really became a topic. It became something that I would notice in terms of my background as a female practitioner. Um, it was a place where I had a lot of uh, support. I think I had a lot of sponsorship from Zaha and from my colleagues. So I didn't really notice it um, through my studies and through the early years in the office. And then it's only through getting to certain points where um, taking on bigger responsibilities on behalf of projects or um, negotiating maybe the, the, the larger responsibilities within the leadership of the office, that it's still an ongoing journey, I would say. Mm, interesting. Farshid, uh, how would you describe yourself 
And what would you say you've negotiated as a woman in architecture? It's it's um, it's difficult to to um, it's actually difficult for me to, to to describe it as a as a negotiation as a product of me being a woman because I don't really know what it's like to be a man. Um, I think everyone negotiates different things in their lifetime, uh, and I I don't want to give the the kind of idea that women have difficulties and men don't. I, I think in my particular case, what uh, probably is distinctive is that, uh, you know, I was a refugee as 14 years old. Uh, so were my parents and they had to life, start life all over again from scratch uh, at a very young, uh, a relatively young age. They were in their early, you know, 30s and with three children. Uh, so probably growing up with that kind of start in the UK has been uh, some, somewhat a unique factor in my upbringing, which I'm sure a lot of other uh, migrants, you know, who find themselves in that situation have already have also experienced and are experiencing. But I, I mean, I think that's much more of a significant factor than me being a woman, I would say. Interesting. And, and Roma, would you... How would you respond to the idea that, um, you know, women maybe have some uh, issues that, that that men don't or vice versa? You know, you yourself have had quite a journey. I think there are differences in people's experiences, but I agree with Farshid that those experiences can come from a lot of different perspectives. It can be gender. It can be um health, it can be language, it can, it can be socioeconomic background, there are so many different things that make people different and each of those has their own challenges and so on. Um, but that's why I think I mentioned intersectionality very early on because it's not always clear um, which of the issues I have come up against, I suppose. But for me, for me that suggestion about doing engineering feels like a gendered barrier because I'm pretty sure that if some boy was studying maths, further maths, physics and design and technology at A-level, I'm pretty sure somebody would have suggested to him, I mean, those are the perfect engineering A-levels, you know, apply for engineering. That seems like a no-brainer. Um, but I completely agree that I've, all of us have different experiences and so on. I guess one of the experiences that I've had um, as a cis-het woman is the fact that um, I was struggling with infertility. I had to have IVF treatments. And then the, I had a very, very anxious and sometimes quite ill pregnancy that followed. And, and that was quite, that was a very eye-opening experience for me in the sense that I suddenly realized that as equal as me and my husband could be in bringing up this future child, when it came to conceiving and carrying that child, you know, I had a huge burden to carry in comparison to him. I mean, Farshid, you you've spoken about you know trying to inspire your daughter in or to get her into the profession or not, as the case may be. Um, have, how has having children um, impacted on your uh, actual you know ability to practice architecture, or has it not? Um, I think on the one hand, it has grounded me, uh, you know, uh, very often. Uh, I mean, I don't mean in a bad way, meaning it's um, given me some, 
you know, uh, some distance to my work, just like, you know, we know that children, having children means uh, a fair amount of distraction, um, I, I, you know, which I found a healthy kind of distraction because I would be otherwise working just uh, all the time, nonstop. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy uh, about having had a child. It is, it is, an, it is, it is an extra massive project. Uh, I've also found myself as a single mother uh, as of uh, when she was around 11. So it's been extra challenging. Uh, but I, 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 I don't think that that has to do with me being an architect. I mean, I think women um, do find themselves um, with, with, you know, taking most of the times, a, a bigger share of a child's upbringing when they are very little, uh, just because of, you know, what, what the mother does and what the father does in those early days. Um, but I, 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 I think given a healthy relationship, uh, you know, uh, parents of a child should, should be able to manage it the way I think, uh, you know, parents with other professions do. So I'm, I'm not really sure if this is architecturally specific. It is, it is a life situation uh, that I think we all need to kind of face at some point. Um, but I, I, you know, I haven't found it any more difficult than other people. In fact, I think uh, for architects, um, it can be uh, easier because uh, there is an informality uh, to a, an architecture office, or at least of the size that I represent, uh, that perhaps doesn't exist if you are practicing medicine or law or, you know, professions like that. So I found that when my daughter was very little, she, she, you know, she was coming to the office after school. Um, you know, and everyone just loved having her around and, and I was very happy to have her around. Um, so, and, you know, and I know that if, if people in my office are in that situation, you know, they have, you know, on occasions brought their children around after school or if they need to run and pick up a child from school. I think these are things that with, with architecture we can uh, easily manage. So I hope that, uh, you know, architects uh, do consider having children if they want to and that their jobs don't, don't deter them from it. Melody, you're picking up on Roma's point about intersectionality and the fact that the intersectionality for, for, the, for, for you, if you don't know, is, is about those different layers that can cause um, disadvantage depending um, on, on, you know, your particular characteristics. And uh, Melody, you described you have various different um, identifiers if you like which one do you think you said as you moved up the ladder um in in your career they seem to be playing out in different ways now what what did you mean by that um i mean i have to preface with i think i'm also incredibly privileged like farshid and roma alluded to it's not always just gender um that sometimes influence the way that people perceive us. It's also many other aspects of our backgrounds, um, our networks, the things that we have access to from a young age. And I think, so in, in, in the bigger picture, I'm actually extremely privileged to be able to have the um, education that I have and the 
network of support that I had growing up as well as uh, now in my career. Um, and I think what happened maybe over time is I was in some ways very, very fortunate to always have the sponsorship of my professors or of Zaha when I was in the office. And I didn't really think too much at that time um, about, I didn't really doubt or I didn't really question um, entering new situations. And we worked on a lot of projects where oftentimes we came in as young designers working on projects that we had never worked on before. Um, but we brought um, our, we brought a lot of creativity, I think. We had a lot to bring to the table and we didn't really question it. And that was something that we were really lucky to have at that time. And I think then over time when the responsibility becomes bigger, for example, I'm responsible for um, a bigger team of very many different people from different backgrounds. You know, We have to look at who we're hiring to bolster the team. Then I think I'm also speaking on behalf of many more people and that becomes something that I always have to question because we're only the product of all of our lived experience. And there's a lot that I have to kind of um, put myself in other people's shoes um, or sometimes also be a little bit um, more, uh, like have a louder voice in a sense to be able to represent them properly um, at the table. Interesting. Thank you for, for that insight. And actually, uh, your speaking there reminds me, funnily enough, of Dale Carnegie, who wrote uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's written in 1936, of course, and so his frame of reference is Al Capone. And he says uh, the only reason Al Capone was the way that he was was because he had the experiences that he did and that he grew up surrounded by the things that he did and he could only be the way that he was because he was and that's the same for all of us that we could only be the way that we are the only reason we're not a rattlesnake is because our parents weren't rattlesnakes uh and uh, uh, that's the point that that he's making that those who come to us sort of bigoted and 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 un, un, unyielding are that way because of who they are and so we have to try to understand that and be be sympathetic towards it. Uh, Roma, you you have chosen to, to somewhat leave behind a bit of a career uh, and focus on your on your writing. But was was that a was that a choice or did you feel that was thrust upon you? I mean, it's it's been quite a roller coaster the last few years, I'd say. So I going into my profession as an engineer, as a young engineer in my 20s, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an engineer, design projects, you know, get promoted to a point where I was perhaps managing those projects. Um, and, and yes, I achieved that to an extent. In the meantime, I had the good fortune of working on the Shard, good fortune in the sense that it's a very iconic, well-known project. And I learned a huge amount as, you know, a young engineer about structural engineering. I got to work with amazing architects, meet brilliant people and so on. And because I looked very different than the other engineers in my team, you know, engineering is a far less diverse profession than architecture. I think the numbers are about, it's between 10 and 12% of engineers are women and about three to 4% of engineers are people of color. I believe that, that that number might be slightly out of date. It's It's not a diverse place and I looked and sounded very different. And I was also the youngest person on my team. So I 
would go out so as, as with my colleagues we would speak about our work on the shard we would speak to engineers we would speak to other you know engineers other professionals in the built environment but because of who I am and what I look like I started getting invitations from schools from universities and people started calling me a role model they wanted to write articles about me and interview me and I was a bit like whoa you know what's going on this is not anything that I've I've planned but it suddenly started dawning on me a few years into my career that, hold on a second, I actually have a voice and I can do something about this lack of diversity in my profession. And at that point, I sort of took it upon myself, as, as have so many others like me, to try and inspire young people. And the Shard was an amazing starting point and tool in order for me to do that. The writing career feels like it was thrust on me because I, I actually do not like writing <laughs> I like it I mean I hate it less than I used to but it's not my natural state of being what I found challenging was as my career progressed I was basically managing two parallel careers one was my technical construction career and then secondly was this sort of media career and they sort of worked in parallel for a while but there came a point last in a couple in the last couple of years where I had a child I went on maternity leave, then there was a pandemic, then there were redundancies in my firm. And I just said, you know what, I'm currently writing another book. One, I just focus on that and see how things go. So I decided to take voluntary redundancy. And uh, over a year on, I'm really busy with lots of other sorts of projects. So never say never. I love my industry. I want to go back into it. It has major problems. And we can talk about more of that later. But um, at, at this point in time, I am focusing on on the writing and um, advocacy work. Farshid, um, the Women in Architecture group recently did a survey and, you know, had various results and call to action. One, one of the questions they asked was about women wanting to remain in the profession. And, you know, there's a strong consensus. 74% want to remain in the profession and they feel that they're supported. However, the women who wish to stay don't aren't free from concerns, you know, whether it's ranging from finances or that balance work-life or sector-wide problems. Um, is is there something that you could say to you, you talked about your own practice being very open and and people being able to come in with their families and so on is there something that you think other firms could maybe learn from the way that you do things that mean that it could feel a little bit more open to them and, and that 25 percent who maybe feel that they're not ready or feel that they may need to to leave the profession um could could learn from um well first of all I'm, I'm happy to hear those numbers i thought they were more gloomy uh, i'm i'm really happy to hear that because uh, the usual um, um let's say word is is that you know it's like almost 50 50 until we finish architectural kind of university and then the numbers radically drop so i'm i'm very happy to hear that um I, I mean, I can only speak from a smaller practice because uh, I think size has a lot to do, it seems to have a lot to do with it. The larger practices they, they become, the more structure there is, uh, there needs to be in place. Uh, and so you do lose, um, I think, you know, the informality and, and, and some, of the, some of the flexibility, let's say, that, that the smaller practice can have. I personally spend 
a huge amount of time interviewing every single person that comes to the office. There is no one who comes to my office who is not, you know, who doesn't get interviewed by me. So we, I place a lot of importance on, on the team spirit that there is in the office uh, and, and that the characters gel. I mean, on the one hand, an office needs different, different um, strengths and, uh, and with that comes different personalities. I, I you know, we, we are in that sense, very diverse. Um, uh, but on the other hand, the, 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 the team needs to, needs to, it takes just one or two people who don't get on with other people in a, in a smaller office for the whole thing to, to be very uncomfortable rather than pleasurable. Um, and so I think that has to do, uh, that's one of the things I do to try to, to make it a, a good environment um, to be in. Uh, I, 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 and, and, you know, we are intentionally uh, not trying to be a huge office. Obviously, we will, at times we will be larger than other times because of the workload that we have. Uh, but I do think you, the, the agility and uh, the flexibility that you have as a small to medium office uh, is something that you lose when you're much larger. And so maybe, you know, we should really be reflecting on what do we gain and what do we lose by being large. Mm. It's something certainly, I think, as, as we talk about the voice of architecture in the profession, those the, whether the voice of the smaller and, and medium firms are, are as significant as the larger firms and what that actually means for for the profession going forward. Um, Melody, uh, earlier we had Claire Nash, um, who's written uh, Design Your Life, which talks about balancing work and life. But one of the things that said is that 10 years ago, Claire was struggling with a common problem, how to be an architect and still have a life. Uh, would you, uh, Melody, have, have any views on, on whether architecture is your life if you go into into the profession or, or there, there is a it seems culturally that that there's something problem problematic inherently in that but is is there a different viewpoint to that um I mean I always tell students when I when I give talks and when I meet them to make the most of um, every learning experience that they have around them. And that means also just being aware of the spaces that they're moving through, the cities that they live in. I think as an architect, it in a way it's inescapable from the way that we see the world and in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, in terms of a kind of balance and the hours that we work on projects or um, invest in further education um, or build up relationships, which also become invaluable in our careers. Um, I think it's, it's down to each individual. It takes a lot of discipline. Um, that's probably something that is then, it's a very personal decision, I think, in terms of how people decide to um, approach each day, approach their kind of five-year, 10-year plans looking forward. Um, and that changes very much from practice to practice, from communities of um, like professional networks that people um, are plugged into. So there's many, many different ways to go about becoming an architect and to integrate one's um, kind of personal uh, viewpoints on how they value their time and how they balance it out. So I don't know, I mean, I'm kind of saying it's, 
for me, it's inseparable. I think as an architect, when we're shaping the spaces for how people and how families and communities live, um, we have to bring to it again, our lived experiences. And we also have to be able to delineate where, uh, what's the most, what are the priorities? Where's the most valuable places for us to invest our time? Right now, we're uh, speaking to architects Melody Lung from Zaha Hadid and Farshid Musavi OBE alongside Roma Agrawal MBE, the engineer, about being women in the built environment. And uh, if I can come to you, um, Roma, uh, to, to speak a little bit more about your experience, um, you know, things um, you've had to, to balance quite quite a lot. You're saying quite a lot has happened in the last five to seven five to seven years. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we mentioned briefly before about the fact that I'm sort of outside the industry at the moment. And in some ways, I'm the stereotype, right? I'm the, I'm 38. I have a very young child. And I kind of fell out of the industry. And that that is the typical sort of age when women tend to, to fall out of the industry. For me, it was mostly by choice, obviously not helped by a pandemic. Um, various things that I've been, I guess, trying to get my head around over the last few years. So I would say that early in my career, I was incredibly well encouraged, supported. My media career that I started to kind of grow in parallel to my technical career was, was lauded and I was given time to, to um, you know, go off and do what I wanted as long as, you know, I was being respectful to my employers and so on. But I feel that at some point, um, when my success became, at some point, my success felt unpalatable to the powers that be, essentially. And at some point, I could see a big flip where I had been amazingly well supported and suddenly my opportunities with the media and with doing interviews or writing stuff were, were actively being taken away from me. and. I could feel that discomfort, but I've only been able to start to articulate what it was that happened fairly recently. And so, I, you know, I, eventually I decided to change employers, but I did work for somebody who essentially didn't speak to me for about six months. And it was just just for very, you know, kind of work related things that a few words would be exchanged. So I ended up in quite an uncomfortable environment. So I moved on and I moved on to some really wonderful, very supportive companies. Um, so it's it's been quite a mixed bag in that sense. And then to top all of that off, my personal life got very complicated when, you know, basically I tried to have a child and and underwent three rounds of IVF. My that my then employer was incredibly supportive of that. But you know, talking about you know making workspaces more flexible for, for anybody, I had to go inject myself. I had to take medication I had to go for tons of appointments and scans and I required that flexibility around that when I did get pregnant well then you know I had failed rounds and then that had an impact on my mental health I then got pregnant and I was I mean too much information but I was being sick between eight and ten times a day and basically having to run from meetings in my office you know from meeting rooms into the toilets and I was incredibly tired my blood sugar was all over the place. And again, I was just given, and this, this was my first trimester. So I had told people in my office, look, I'm early pregnant. And people normally don't share that information. 
And then I was again given the flexibility to work from home. I honestly, I was having naps most days <laughs> when I was working from home because I simply couldn't stay awake for the full working day. And again, I just was able to kind of move my hours around. So yeah, so a lot has a lot has gone on. And it's stuff that I'm still, to be honest, working through. I was diagnosed with postnatal depression. I'm on medication for that. Um, I'm trying to reconcile a lot of stuff that happens through my career and really trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my career going forward. So if you ask me what I'm doing next year, the answer is I don't know, because my book will be finished around March, hopefully. <laughs> and and then, yeah, I'm kind of open to see what comes next. Well, uh, thank you for, for your honesty and, and sharing that, Roma. I mean, Farsha, just to go back to a couple of the earlier points that Roma was making there, it may or may not be because she was a woman. It may or may not be because she is a woman of colour. But that issue of maybe jealousy, envy, you know, how much do you have to navigate that in architecture as a, as a successful woman yourself? Um, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. Um, I, I think I've, um, I'm lucky that I, in the end, I come across people who don't have that problem with me. Uh, you know, I, so I think one's life can also be, um, I think we can also be blind by what we don't see. Um, so, but I, I tell you what, I am aware of the fact that uh, when people do get very successful, and this is not just women, it's, I, I do know of male architects who uh, attract a lot of jealousy because they are very successful. And, and this, again, I, I think we should separate gender issues from, you know, just general issues. And it, it, is, a, it is a funny one because uh, when, you are, when you are starting out, there is a lot of, I think, goodwill towards you because people want to encourage, you know, young uh, startups, et cetera. Then when you do something good, they want to celebrate you. Uh, and I've, I've kind of experienced that uh, definitely. And then probably most people are in some kind of mid thing where, you know, you know, they are, they are, they are not super, super successful to, to attract that kind of probably en envy and jealousy. And they are not, they don't belong to that. Now, in my own particular case, because I had to start again, uh, you know, I, 11 years ago, my practice kind of dissolved and I had to start again. So in a way, I, I out of something that was personally for me, you know, a, a kind of a terrible situation, uh, something good came across, which meant that I, I was a startup again. So at the time when if things had gone, keep, kept on going as they were, maybe maybe I would have been maybe more and more successful. I, I had to restart again. And so I, I, I found myself in this in-between situation where basically people don't think of mid-career people. You know, it's mostly either when you're really young and they want to support you or when you're really successful and then you either attract people or you attract jealousy. 
I, I would say this, 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 uh, the, 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 the envy and jealousy factor is there. Uh, I, 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 I do know it's also towards men. Or, and I'm not saying that women don't encounter it. Uh, for sure, they do. But I do think men do too. Melody, do you have a view on, on whether women might get that kind of reaction more uh, than men? What's, what's your experience? Um, I don't think, I mean, I know that there's a lot of, there's some conversation um, in certain circles, let's say that um, people will say, oh, she's being treated that way, or she's being perceived in a negative way because she's female, you know, would they treat a man like that? I also like Farshid personally prefer to kind of stay away from those types of classifications because I find it reductive to bring it back just to someone's gender. Um, it's important to look at the full picture. And like you were mentioning before, it's, it's a whole myriad of intersectionality. Um, you know, it's, it's really much more about opening up all the different um, ways in which we can be more inclusive in the industry and offering chances for um, people who communicate differently or people who bring very different skill sets to the table. I think um, one thing while Farshid was speaking that crossed my mind is also what does success look like? Because I think for some people, it's not necessarily um, the exposure in the media, the big projects, um, the kind of press or even uh, maybe even recognition in academic circles. I think for some people, success can be um, much more, maybe less visible or it can be more about influence um, in ways that are a little bit less explicit. So I think to be really clear about that um, as an individual, I was gonna say uh, one of the things that I would advise for young architects or even something that I'm going through myself is um, finding those ways to find your voice and you know your own priorities because otherwise we can get really washed away um, by what we're being fed in the media, um, what the kind of overarching narrative, which is sometimes much uh, louder or more visible, um, easier to process. Um, I guess I also had a question for both Roma and Farshid along those lines, which is if you had any advice for um, how you maybe, I know you're going through the process Roma right now, but in terms of finding Finding your voice as an architect, as a, or also for Sheed as a, as a professor, because I know you know even though you have a small practice, you're very very influential, and um, I really really respect the series of research that you've done with your books, um, and your studios at Harvard. So I guess I'm kind of curious what kind of advice you have to share with um, those people who are listening. Go. Shall I go first? Yeah, do. <laughs> um, you know, I um, I think there is another way to, whilst we should champion, um, uh, you know, equal treatment of everyone um, at the workplace, um, you should champion diversity. Um, I, I, I think we should also champion um, the idea that being a minority uh, is a good thing. I, 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 I think with being a minority, 
and minority can be, you know, minority gender, could be minority of race, it could be my, my of, of your height, it could be anything. I think it 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 gives you a different perspective, uh, which I think in a creative situation um, is quite powerful because you see things in a different way. And with design, um, you know, comes the need to think differently. Uh, so that we 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 you know so that we act more creatively. We make uh, spaces uh, that are inspiring. Um, you know, more of the same is not inspiring. Um, more of the same, um, and the idea of consensus means um, being, I think banal uh, and uh, people taking their surroundings for granted uh, and, and not being inspired. So, uh, you know, I think I would encourage everyone to always step outside the normatives and try to be an outsider, even if they are born as part of the majority. So I, I think if you think that if we think this way, then we stop being worried about being outsiders in whichever way. And we use that to our strengths. We use that as a way to be creative. Uh, and, you know, despite the fact that, yes, I was born in Iran, I am a woman. Yes, I'm short, all these things. When I'm working, I, I, when I'm working, I don't think of myself as less able. I think of myself as as of having the strength to to deal with any design problem. Uh, obviously, in in more of a real life situation, yes, when I have to, you know, lift up my luggage to put it on the thing above my head in a plane, I feel disadvantaged. But not necessarily as a woman, but as a human being. Yes, we can we can design. We can and we should encourage uh, all our spaces to be better designed so that they don't disadvantage people. I'm afraid in the end, when it comes to the plain thing, somebody is going to be disadvantaged. I don't know how we are going to make everybody happy, but I think we should we should keep questioning those things. Um, but at the same time, I, I think we should also encourage people to be themselves and to make people feel comfortable to be themselves and to, to feel strong for what they are. Um, I, I feel, I feel quite, quite, quite strong about that. Roma? Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear about that strength. And I think the people that work with you, Farshi, they're very lucky to have that because my experience, and it, you know, it could be that the gender balance in engineering is just so much more stark, is that I couldn't separate being a woman from my situation. So while I consider myself 100% as capable as anybody else, I was consistently in meetings where I was the only woman and I would be interrupted, I would be talked over, I would be asked to get the coffee, to take the notes, all those kind of typical things you hear. I've been to meetings where I was surrounded by pictures of naked women and I have to have a conversation about that. So I can't separate my gender there either. Um, the thing I think that hurt the most was when I was be becoming more successful and well-known and people started saying, oh, it's only because she's a woman and 
an ethnic minority that she she's ticking these boxes and that's why she's getting these opportunities and us white men are not getting these opportunities and that was very deeply painful to me because mm. actually the amount of barriers i have faced because of who i am you know would suggest that i have had to fight a lot for stuff that these men didn't and i did and now they're kind of turning that back on me the other thing i find quite frustrating is people talk a lot in my industry about oh that woman she's been so overpromoted um and she doesn't have the capabilities to do this job she's quite an average engineer and i feel like men are allowed to be average but as women we have to really kind of be extraordinary to be taken seriously so in my kind of situation i have found that yes there are a lot of advantages people remember who i am i've been able to stand out i've got opportunities that nobody else got absolutely but what people don't see in the background um are these really kind of awful behaviors that slowly chip away at you and coming into 15 years in my career i am now quite worn out <laughs> Architects Melody Lung from Zaha Hadid, Farshid Musabi OBE and Roma Agrawal MBE. Very powerful. You're listening to Reba Radio. Real inclusive, brilliant action.